0: Hello listeners, welcome back on the Founders Club podcast. Today's guest is David Allison. David has spent his career helping organizations motivate, influence, and engage audiences. He's the founder of the Value Graphics Database, the world's first custom database that can predict and influence behavior. David's company uses the database to provide clients with the data-driven personas that pinpoint precisely which values will most powerfully trigger behavior for anything on earth. His best-selling book, We Are All the Same Age Now, The End of Demographic Stereotypes, was listed by Inc. Magazine as one of the top 10 leadership books of the year. He also speaks globally about how to predict and influence behavior and provides custom data for every audience he addresses. Please enjoy this wide-range conversation with David. David, uh, thank you first of all for taking your time and joining the Founders Club podcast.
1: I'm very glad to be here. I'm uh... Uh, as a founder myself, I'm 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 fascinated with the journey that we're all going through, and the opportunity to talk to you, Giorgio, about uh, some of the things you know and some of the things you've learned. I'm I'm just as excited to talk to you, I think, as maybe you're excited to talk to me.
0: So, uh, one question: How are you, first of all, and how do you live this uh, whole situation right now, going in the in the world, not only in Italy or in Europe or in China, also in Canada? How do you live it?
1: How am I dealing with it? Yeah. Well, here in Canada the we're, we're very fortunate in that the um number of cases that we're uh, focused on as uh, or the number of cases of people who have uh who've contracted the disease and the number of deaths we've had so far is quite small um, compared to everything else going on in the world we're still very very concerned and we're all locked down uh we're all trying our best to stay home and except for absolutely essential um, things that we need to do. Um, I've even got to the point where I, I only try and go to the grocery store once every two weeks just to stay away from as many people as possible. Uh, on a mental and, and emotional level, you know, I, I spend most of my time uh, working at my home office anyway. So the idea of being isolated is not is not a new thing for me. It's, uh, it's not that difficult to deal with. Um, what's hard for me is to watch and see what's going on in our economy, uh, to watch and see what going on with our first responders and our and the people who work in the medical profession um, i worry about all my friends who aren't as fortunate and and who uh, have uh, uh, jobs where they they sort of live paycheck to paycheck and how they're going to make it through this thing um, it's an unprecedented moment in our history isn't it i mean if you would four weeks ago tried to tell me or even eight weeks ago tried to tell me that this is what the whole world would be like right now I would have said that you were a liar and now here we are.
0: Yeah, this is like a surreal moment for everyone that uh, no one has ever thought or planned to deal with it and now we have to think really seriously. Uh, what can we learn from this and how we can prevent such things for the future as well and how can we get out better, a better version of ourselves from, from dealing with this situation right now. Let's start a little bit before going and what you do uh just a little bit on who you are. Obviously uh just to give a little a little bit of background to people who are listening. Uh, you're a human behavior expert, uh you write books, you're also an entrepreneur and also a founder. So can you just give a little bit of background uh and tell uh, about yourself?
1: Yeah, for sure. So um <clears throat> What can I tell you? I, um, I had my own marketing and strategy company for a very long time. I built it from scratch. and At one point, we got up to as many as uh, 35 or 40 people. And we were working on uh, projects all over the world. Uh, for Primarily, we had this funny little niche. Whenever anybody was building a resort or a large-scale new community or a very expensive condominium tower or a cluster of condominium towers, That's what we were experts at is marketing and selling and doing the strategy and the branding around these kinds of projects. And it was an interesting discipline to be involved with because uh, it's the most expensive thing any of us are ever going to buy is a home. And so the stakes are very, very high. So we had a lot of pressure. We had to use all of the latest technologies, all of the best marketing theories um, there was a lot of money on the line to make these things work. So I learned a lot about um, the, the the most advanced and leading-edge uh, ways to communicate and to market and to build strategies around products and services. And there would always been this thing that kind of bothered me, and it kind of led to where I'm at today. And the last five years of my life have been devoted to this research that I've been doing Becoming a human behavior expert, learning as much as I can about social science and sociology. And this is the thing that was bothering me. All that money we were spending building products and services and brands and messages and campaigns, it was all based on one thing, which is trying to understand your target audience. And so you look at the tools we have to understand a target audience, and the first thing we do when we're trying to understand a target audience is we say, how old are they? Are they 18 to 24, They 25 to 36, 37 to 45? We have these little memorized categories and we pick one of those. We say, okay, the target audience for this thing we're doing uh, is 25 to 36 years old and they're men. And let's say they earn uh, 50,000 euros uh, in a year and they've been uh, out of school for two years now. And uh, they have a, a girlfriend, but not a wolf. And so then based on this information, we would go and spend millions of dollars trying to get them to do something, to buy a product or a service or believe in, a, in an idea. And when you think about it, it's kind of nonsense because what it's the baseline there, what, 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 it's, what it's built on is that somehow people who fit that description are going to be the same kind of person. That somehow if you take a group of men who are 25 to 36 and earn 50,000 euros and have a girlfriend, uh, they're all the same. And it just doesn't make any sense. If you stop and think about it, if you put all a bunch of people who fit that description in a stadium, you filled it with a hundred thousand people in that stadium who fit that description. And you have to stand on a stage in the middle of that stadium and you have to try and sell them something. What are you going to say? Well, you're guessing. You're absolutely guessing. You have no idea what they all like. You have no idea how they make their decisions about anything. And yet the whole world everywhere on the planet. This is the system we use to spend trillions and trillions of dollars based on a guess about what this target audience that we've developed might what 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 they might respond to. What we did when I, I sold my company about five years ago and started working on this research to see if we could find a better way to understand all those people in the stadium. Once we knew what they were, we knew they were men and we knew they were 50,000 euros and we knew they had a college degree, but, but how could we figure out what to say to them where they would all go, yeah, that's true. I agree with this. I will buy that. I will, I will use your product. I like your brand. So I went into the world of sociology and into the world of social science to find out how people really make decisions about things. And I came up with this finding. I found this thing. This isn't me. This is just a, this is just the basis of everything in social science and sociology is this one sentence. And it's this, what we value determines what we do. What we value determines what we do. And so to put that another way what we care about the most in our lives is how we make decisions about everything so let me give you an example Giorgio. I don't know you very well but I'm gonna say that um, you're very uh, well you and I were following each other on Instagram now so I know a little something about you I know that that you're very much into health and fitness so that's something you value very very much and so if I could talk to you about what I would like you to do and convince you that it was going to improve your health and fitness. That would be something that would be quite powerful. Now, if I could tell you that everyone in that stadium we were talking about, who was between the ages of 25 and 36 and earns 50,000 euros and has a college degree and a girlfriend, but not a wife, and we have no idea what to say to them. But if I could tell you that they all think health and fitness is incredibly important, Well, suddenly, you know what to say to them. You can say, my product, my service, my brand, my company is all about helping you have a better level of health and fitness. So by knowing that one thing, that one value, that one thing that you think is really important, suddenly we're able to do a much more powerful job when it comes to getting people to change their behavior. So that's what i've spent my life my last five years studying is we've built this database where now for anywhere in the world we can tell you for that group of people in that metaphorical stadium whatever your heart good audience is i can tell you what they care about so that we don't have to think about whether they're men or women or rich or poor or young or old none of that matters anymore all that matters now we, because we have this new new data we have the ability to say well what they care about is health and fitness and the second thing they all care about in common is uh, trust and the third thing they all care about in common is maybe financial security so if you know those three things to be true based on statistics and science and data then that's the information we need to be able to communicate more powerfully than we've ever been able to before
0: this is uh, so amazing it, it 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 reminds me of my own uh, entrepreneurial journey when we when I started my own startup when I joined the company that I'm working right now uh, as a co-founder and the demographic which is data that you use to target some uh, a predefined set of users or customers it's so updated why I'm saying this so when we launched our application for an instance we're targeting specific audience which was foreigners or expats learning Chinese in China and the, the demographic was very very different from it could go from 25 years to uh 50 years old and, and I I totally see this as not being any more accurate or faithful to to do like a, a campaign on targeting those people no. and, Exactly. And the, also the example that you mentioned, you and me, we are different demographics, we are different ages, and, but we value sport and fitness and health. And uh, is this part of uh, the knowledge that you also encapsulate in your book, uh, which is we are all the same age now? Or what, what, what is the, the knowledge that you try to encapsulate in the book and the message you try to convey?
1: Well, you know, the book that you're referring to, yes, it's called We Are All the Same Age Now. And if you're interested, you can buy it pretty much everywhere in the world uh, on Amazon, whatever your local Amazon is. Um, it was written uh, and came out last October. And that's when we only had data for North America. So we only had the Canada and the United States data. We had 75,000 surveys in this database and it was accurate to within plus or minus 3.5% with a 95% level of confidence, which is a lot of fancy stats talk that just basically means this stuff is true. It's very true. So for North America in that book, yes, we try and talk about how demographics don't really make sense anymore. I'll give you a couple of quick stats from, from that book and then we can talk about maybe how we now have the whole data for the world. So for it's not just about North America anymore. But in that book, we are able to isolate, uh, let's say, uh, let's say baby boomers, because everybody likes talking about the baby boomers. So baby boomers, uh, if we isolate them out of that data set, and we see how often do they agree with each other on anything, and we've measured 436 different things about people, about what they value, what they think is really important in their life, and what they want. what they need what they expect that life owes them so those are our four categories of information values wants needs and expectations so if we just look at the baby boomers in this data set and say how well i wonder how often they agree with each other how similar are baby boomers to each other because we keep targeting baby boomers well baby boomers are only similar to each other 15 percent of the time Sorry, I have the number wrong. 13. It's 13% of the time one three. So that means 87% of the time. If you're trying to target baby boomers, you're going to get it wrong. That's not a very good number. Uh, That means every dollar you spend targeting baby boomers is going to get you 13 cents on the dollar. That's a kind of a big waste of the dollar. Now, if we go on and look at uh, Generation X, they only agree with each other 11% of the time. And if we look at millennials, who we've spent so much time and money talking about for the last 10 years, how do we make everything different for the millennials? Because they are some kind of unicorn in the enchanted forest that we've never seen before, these millennials. Well, millennials only agree with each other 15% of the time. So how can you change your HR policies to make millennials happy when only 15% of them will like it? Or how can you create a product for millennials when only 15% of them are going to like it? Now the same numbers hold true in this database. If we look, and now we can speak about this for the whole world, not just Canada and the United States, the same numbers are true. Uh, If we look at everywhere in the world, men, How often do men agree with each other? It's about 10% of the time. And how often do people who earn, uh, you know, 50,000 euros? How often do people who earn uh, 250,000 euros? How often are people who are married or divorced or single? The point is demographics as a way to understand how similar people are so that you can then talk to them about something and say, hey, we know you guys like this. So you should buy this or you should think this. The similarity in any demographic category is is negligible. Here's another interesting fact here. Around the world, we now have half a million surveys in our data set we're accurate for 180 different countries. And here's a fascinating thing found. Just because we're humans, Giorgio, you and I, and everybody who's listening to this today, and everybody you see when you walk down the street, everybody, we all agree with each other on things roughly 8% of the time, just because we're human. We have an 8% average agreement level around the whole planet. So now if you say, okay, baby boomers, they agree with each other, uh, 13% of the time. Well, 8% of that is just because they're human. Mm -hmm. So that means you get 5% better. If you talk to baby boomers specifically as baby boomers, it's 5% on the dollar is the return we're getting on demographics. So demographics now, I mean, we've all kind of suspected this for a very long time. We're like, yeah, you know what? Nobody really acts their age anymore. And men and women don't have to do the things they used to have to do. Women can do anything they want. Men can do anything they want. And yet we still try and use these demographic ideas to understand our target audiences. And now we have the data from the whole planet that proves once and for all that demographics are... Uh, can I swear on your podcast?
0: Uh, please do, don't it's censorship yourself.
1: Okay. <laughs> now we have the data once and for all for the whole planet. The demographics are bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> they just don't mean anything anymore in terms of how similar people are to each other, how alike they are to each other. Right. So. Uh, we it's clear we need a new system we're, we live in a post demographic world now and and we can't use demographics as a way to understand how to spend our money as founders trying to get people to pay attention to the things we're trying to do if you're using demographic stereotypes and proto and, and, and profiles you're wasting your money what you need to do instead is understand what people value what do they care about and you use that information to make decisions about what you're going to build and what you're going to call it and how you're going to brand it and what your messages are.
0: Right. So what we value determines what we do. Therefore, demographics demographics are not accurate as a way to measure what people exactly value. Therefore, we need to analyze what are their values. And what I want to ask is how or what are the values and how can you identify the values of someone of the, the your target audience that that you want to reach to, or That's your a audience? Lesson.
1: So there's three different ways you can do it, and each way that you and there's maybe others, but um, there's three that I that I, I'm aware of. Um, well, the first one is to just use your gut, and if even if we all just started doing this, if we all just started to say, um, let's let's come up with an example. Let's say um, I own a shoe store. I I sell shoes to people. Uh, Maybe it's a chain of shoe stores. If If I could just stop thinking about people based on what their age is and what their gender is and whether they have kids and how rich or poor they are and instead spend some time talking to the folks who come into my stores and who are talking to me online through my online store and ask them some questions about what do they care about? and nothing to do with your product, just about their life. What do they worry about when they wake up in the morning? What do they think about? What, what stories that are on the news right now are the most important ones to them? What, what's, the, what's the one thing that they would like to improve about their life? If we could just start using those kinds of questions to understand our audiences, We'd be, doing, we'd be doing far better than we are right now. You know, when you think about it, Georgia, we send out so many surveys to our customers, and what do we ask them in our surveys? We say, hi, what's your name? How old are you? Are you a man or a woman? Are you married? What, what, how much money do you make? Is it this much, or is it between these two amounts, or between these two amounts? Do you have a college degree? Do you have a master's degree, um, uh, et cetera, et cetera? And then we go, thank you for answering our surveys. And then you sit down and look at this and you go, well, well now what do we do with that? Well, we put it all together into a report and we give it to our boss who goes, good. Well, now we understand our target audience. Well, no, you don't. All all you do is understand what they are. You don't understand who they are. So if you're going to go and do that exercise, instead, put some questions in there that, that might seem a little weird at first because we're not used to thinking about values this way, but ask people. What's what's the most important thing in your life? What's the one thing that you would fight to never have to give up? What's the one thing that you would sacrifice your income in order to preserve? What's the thing you think about first thing in the morning when you wake up and you turn off the alarm clock? What's the first thing that pops into your head? So just start asking those kinds of questions instead of these stupid ones about, are you a male? Are you a female? Do you make 50,000 euros? Do you make, do you have a master's degree? I mean, what are you going to do with any of that information? It's pointless. So the second way you can find out values costs just a little bit more and it always sounds like I'm trying to sell my book But if anybody's written a book and put it on Amazon, you know that you make about two dollars per copy So if everybody listening to this podcast bought one I'd have enough to go and have dinner tonight So it's not about it's not about me making money in the book There's a quiz a 10 question quiz and you can use that quiz to send out to your audience to your customers to your workforce And you can ask them those 10 questions and it will point you to one of the 10 chapters in the book where we tell you everything we know about the people who belong to that particular archetype. These are the 10 most powerful tribes of values, the most powerful clusters of like minded people. And if you can figure out which one of those is most like your audience, you're doing a really much better job than just using demographic stereotypes that most of the world still uses now it's not super accurate because it's just those 10 uh, archetypes uh, i say to people it's like playing the piano but using your fists um, <laughs> at least you're playing the piano it's not going to be really pretty uh, but at least it's better than not playing the piano at all now if you really want to get accurate and make some beautiful music on that piano well that's why you need to get in touch with me and what we'll be able to do is a custom research reports specific to your company, to your audience, to your staff and tell you precisely with statistical accuracy, more than you need for a PhD from Harvard. In fact, we'll be able to tell you exactly what your people care about the most. And then you'll be able to act on that information. Now, at the moment, the book that I was telling you about, we're, we're all the same age now. It's available on Amazon. It's about 15 bucks, seven or eight euros, something like that. Uh, it's only got data in there for North America. At, I am sitting here at my desk right now, staring at the data for the whole world. And that's the next book. It should be out within the next year. If you want this data now and you can't find a way, you, and the North American data is not gonna work for you, you just find, find me on LinkedIn or find me at valuegraphics.com and I'll do my very best to help you uh, understand with the new data we have for the whole world where we're accurate now for 180 different countries on the planet.
0: So uh, value graphics, it's a way to enable people to answer better the question that every founder has in the top of his mind, which is what does my customer want and how can I better serve his his needs or his wants Mm. by using this data, not relying anymore on demographics, but on the value graphics
1: yeah i mean when you think about it that is the number one question for every organization out there what does my customer want and for the first time in history we now have the answer based on data instead of guesswork or i think i know or my friend bob he's 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 exactly my customer and what bob likes is this these are the ways we, we we build our companies it's kind of crazy when you think about how much guesswork is involved in making those decisions right now so now we can disrupt demographics it's the last thing that needs disrupting out there right nobody's disrupted demographics yet we've disrupted private car ownership and hotels and every industry in the world has been disrupted somehow but we've yet to disrupt demographics and now we can uh
0: i want to follow up with uh, the next question which is now we live in a time where uh, the, the use of technologies quite ubiquitous so everybody has access to social media to any kind of technology at disposal Uh, how does the use of of technology right now influence or shapes our values because if if values becomes the metric the more accurate metrics but can technology influence or shape uh, our values over time or how does it work
1: Well, there's a couple questions inside your question there. The the, the first thing we need to understand is that our values are formed when we are young, when we are adolescents and growing up. And it's partly because of who we hang out with. It's partly because of our parents. It's partly because of where we live in the world. We get a set of values and they're sort of ours for the rest of our life. It's like our fingerprint. So whether you're using technology to connect with each other or you're using technology to uh, find information or you're using technology to just, um, I don't know, have a podcast like you and I are having, um, you're using those different technological tools to help you increase the importance of your values. So, Giorgio, I'm going to take a guess here that, uh, you know, um, you have some kind of value, uh, personally, that has something to do with, like, you, you want to learn stuff, you're, you're a curious person, I don't know you very well at all. But I'm assuming that the only reason you have a podcast is because you are curious, and you are always looking for new ways to, to learn things. And, and education is a very, very important value to you. Is that is that a fair assumption?
0: that's a pretty accurate assumption i would say yeah the idea of the podcast is to enable uh, myself to engage with people who have more knowledge in specific domains and take that knowledge ask questions try to understand things that i don't know and by doing this uh, bring that knowledge also to my audience that i'm trying to build as well by giving this value somehow somehow So, yes, it has to some degree education. You have a very
1: strong value around education. It also sounds like you have a strong value around community. You want to build a community of people and you see it as important in your life to learn stuff so that you can share it with the community of people that you're building around you. So there's two of your values that we've identified just in this quick conversation. Now to take this back to technology. A hundred years ago, there were still people Who were very interested in education and were very interested in sharing what they'd learned and and building a community now we may have called them 100 years ago we may have called them uh, authors because the way that you learned stuff was by researching things in a library talking to experts one-on-one you'd fly to someone's or, or go to someone's office you'd talk to them you'd do some research you'd figure things out you'd write a book and then you'd put the book out there in the world so that other people learn from what you'd learned you're just using technology in the same way your values the reasons you're doing it are the same as the guy a hundred years ago he just didn't have access to podcasting now a hundred years from today who knows what we'll be able to do but there will be one thing i can promise you that will still be true a hundred years from now there will be people who are very interested in education and learning new things and then sharing that information with the community of people who also are curious about that same stuff. Your values are the same, they're eternal, they don't change. What changes is the technologies and the tools we have to express those values over the course of time.
0: By analyzing the value based on different regions are, are are there some of those values like if you had to compare i don't know let's say people in China and people in Europe are there some values that kind of surprised you most by analyzing the differences uh, according to the region or
1: well yeah there's some uh, there's some really surprising uh, differences when we look at different regions in the world and I'm not smart enough to start tracing these back and trying to understand the cultural reasons why um, these values come to the top of our of our testing. But you mentioned Europe and China. So let's talk about those. First thing we have to say is that in all cases, all parts of the world at the very, very top, there's always something that we call a togetherness value. And I think that's beautiful that everywhere in the world at the very top of our list is some way that we want to be part of something larger than just ourselves so in in china the the most important ways that people want to feel connected to each other and feel together is through family and through uh, what we call relationships which is not friendships it's a slightly different thing it's a little less important than a friendship relationship is uh the sort of uh, relationship I might have with the woman at the corner store who remembers to save the newspaper for me every Sunday when I go down there. We have a relationship. She's not my friend. She's not coming to my house for dinner. But still, I have a relationship with her, and I I worry about her when uh, I want to make sure she's okay. In Europe, the togetherness value is also family and relationships, but another one shows up called belonging and belonging is that sense you get when you walk into a party somewhere and you go oh i don't fit in here this is not my people i don't nah, i don't belong here or you walk into that party and you go yay this is a great place for me this is a, i totally belong here so in europe that's up near the top of the list and the togetherness values as well but what's really interesting because we all have these different versions of togetherness at the very top of our list but we take go take those out and we go down one layer And we compare i'll give you the top three values for europe and the top three values for china and you can see that there's some overlap but not entirely so in europe after the togetherness values the number one most important thing to everybody is financial security well in china it's the same thing financial security Now here's what's interesting, financial security in Europe is number one, but only 72% of the population feel that financial security is number one, whereas in China, 84% of the population believes financial security is, or doesn't believe, has, they they do have financial security at the top of their list. So there's, it's, even though it's number one in both places, in China, it's, it's a, it's a bigger number one uh, than it is in Europe. Then we move down to the number two slot in europe the number the number two most important value is experiences i want to experience things i want to, what's that over there how, how how i haven't been to that restaurant yet experiences are incredibly important in europe they're the number two slot and in china the number two slot has nothing to do with experiences it's personal growth in china people are after financial security and togetherness in china people are very concerned about being a better version of themselves tomorrow than they are today and then i'll give you one more just so we cover the top three in europe the third most important personal value after financial security and experiences is personal growth that thing that shows up in the number two slot in China. So we're kind of similar to China and Europe because we both have financial security and personal growth. But in China, the number three slot, instead of it being experiences, as it is in Europe in the number two slot, it's inner harmony. People in China are trying very, very hard to protect their inner harmony. So if you just read them uh, without comparing, this is how it goes. In China, the most important, important thing to everyone is their family and their relationships with other people. After that, it's about financial security, personal growth and harmony. So if you're going to try and sell something to people in China or create something or convince people in China about an idea, you need to talk to them about how it's going to safeguard and improve financial security, personal growth and harmony, whereas in Europe, for that same task, you're going to try and sell them something, create something for them, convince them of an idea, you need to talk to them about how it's going to safeguard and improve financial security, how it's going to be a great, a great experience, and how it's going to help them grow as a person and be a better version of themselves tomorrow than they are today. So there's some similarities, but there's still some very important differences in the way people view the world.
0: Do you think, like in times like this, where uh, which we live right now, uh, there is a world pandemic going on? Do you think people uh, prioritize to some degree their values? Maybe before in Europe, uh, value was uh, experience, but now, okay, that's not anymore a top two uh, value as a priority, but becomes uh, health. Is that is that something that can influence, or what's your take on that?
1: um well it's a it's an interesting question and one that's hotly debated in the social science world uh it's um your values are formed when you're young in your adolescence again as we've discussed about uh, it has to do with socialization. It has to do with your parents' attitudes towards life. It has to do with the people that you encounter who are formative or part of your formative years, all kinds of different factors contribute to how your values are formed. But the way I talk about this is once, once you have your values, once they're set, it's like you have a certain number of socks in your sock drawer in your bedroom. You never lose those socks. They're always going to be your socks today because of what's going on in your day and in your life and in, your, in, in what's top of mind for you, you're gonna wear a certain pair of socks and you're gonna have a second pair of socks that's your favorites, those are your backups. Tomorrow, something slightly different's going on and you're gonna change your socks, but you're not throwing away the ones that you had on yesterday. They just go back in the sock drawer. Another way to think about it is maybe passports. We can all have multiple passports to multiple countries and at any given moment in time, one passport is really important because, Giorgio, I know that you are Italian, but you work in China. So you have some papers, I don't know, you have a landed status or you have a passport or whatever it is, somehow you're illegally working in China. And so those papers are very, very important to you while you're there, but you still have your Italian citizenship and you still have your Italian passport. It's just when you're in China, it's not as important. So right now we're going through some weird things in the world. And you know what, when this batch of world things, uh, weird things we're going through in the World Cup. Some other batch of weird things is going to come along. And no matter what's happening in the world, our values stay the same. Which values come to the top of the list will alter, and how we manifest those values will alter. So I'll, I'll talk about what's happening right now. For example, everybody's at home. We're all very, very worried about our families. For those of us whom family is an important value. If family is an important value for you right now, you're doubling down on family. You're going crazy, doing stuff, whatever you can, because you feel like perhaps your family is under threat. This is why, I don't know if it's happening over in your part of the world, but here in North America, as as, as soon as we started to see what was going on with this pandemic, people ran to the grocery store and started buying toilet paper, which made me stop and scratch my head and go, of all the things that you're worried about, in a global pandemic, it's toilet paper. And then I, I realized it isn't about toilet paper. It's about trying to make sure their families are okay. And it was something they knew how to do. My family needs toilet paper. I need to go and make sure we never run out of toilet paper. For some reason it was the symbol of what was important at that moment to make sure your family was protected. So
0: that's so interesting. To your question
1: is, Right. It really doesn't matter what's going on in the world. Uh, there's mm-hmm. very, very few instances where your values will be changed. They'll just be prioritized and they'll be um, the volume on each value will go up or go down based on what's going on in your life.
0: That's so interesting this uh, association of the value that the American people have. With a specific product, which in this case it was toilet paper, and in Italy, uh, it's it was the pasta actually.
1: It was pasta. Okay, of course yes. it was. So nobody needs that much pasta. You guys all would have survived without pasta, but pasta is so it's it's pasta is Italian. That is what it's who we are. <laughs> yeah. So maybe maybe that means in North America, who we are is toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs>
0: i <laughs> are going to get
1: in trouble from my, my, my American Canadian friends for that comment, but uh, I can see Italians running out and buying this thing that's so integral to who they are so that their family is safe. They weren't buying pasta, they were buying family security. That's yeah, what they were buying.
0: Exactly. The pasta is the food per excellence that brings all the family together at, around the table and uh, creates that uh, strong bond uh, in the family which is the, the food itself and more specifically the pasta. Um, David, uh, what are you working on currently and uh, how can people reach to you directly?
1: Well, I'm really, thank you for asking me that question because I'm so excited about what I'm doing right now. As of last October, uh, we now have the data to help people understand what everybody on the entire planet, what we all care about. So for every, any product or service or brand or idea anywhere on earth, we can now identify what the people um, are, what they care about. And so this is incredibly powerful for a couple of reasons. It can change massive behaviors with masses of people. You think about right now, we need to all understand um, how to behave in a different way because of what's going on in the world. Uh, Well, I have the information that could be used for each of the individual um, countries in the world to say, here's what you need to be fr- how you need to be framing up that information so that people will realize that this is about their values being under threat, and they will listen and they will do what they need to do. Uh, if it wasn't this moment in history, what I'm excited about is just this continuing ability for us to change behaviors. It does two things. It means that for large companies and organizations and not-for-profits and things like this, we can help them with uh, uh, making um, much more powerful products and services and brands and ad campaigns, much more uh, happy workforces and internal culture and employee engagement. Anytime we need to change the behavior of large groups of people, we now can use science and data to make that happen anywhere on earth, and that's pretty exciting. But what's even more exciting is I take the money from doing this for corporations, and we use this money to give it away, to give away the data to huge humanitarian organizations that are trying to make the world a better place for all of us. Our first pro bono project, for example, was with a group out of Washington DC called the Environmental Defense Fund. We were able to say to them, all the people all over the world, who donate money to your organization so that you can go out and help with all the problems that this poor old planet of ours is trying to get through. Ice caps melting, temperatures rising, sea levels rising, pollution, all of these things. We've been able to help them increase the amount of fundraising that they're able to do because we're able to tell them, the people who give you money, here's what they care about. So talk to them about those things and they'll support you in even larger ways. I just today, and who knows, maybe someone's listening to this that can help me. Just today, I've been reaching out to the United Nations and saying, listen, right now, you're trying to convince the world to behave in a different way so we can get through this, this moment where we're we're faced with a global pandemic. And if I can get someone at the United Nations to listen to me, I wanna give them this data for free and say, here, let me help you. I can tell you how to change people's behaviors. I want to do this with Bill and Melinda Gates foundation. Imagine if every dollar that they are giving away also came with some data for free, I'll give it away for free because those dollars are out there trying to make the world better for everybody. So what gets me out of bed in the morning and makes me work these crazy 14 hour days, seven days a week, isn't so much that I get to help companies be so much more effective with their money. But it's that I can take that and I can use that, as corny as it sounds, I can use that to make the world a better place. And that's what I'm trying to do. So if somebody's interested and they want to stay in touch and and learn more and watch for this next book that'll be out hopefully this year with the whole global data set, you can sign up on my website at valuegraphics.com. It's just like demographic, but valuegraphic, V-A-L-U-E, don't forget the E, valuegraphics.com. Uh, if you sign up there uh, for um, a blog post or one, download one of the free reports that we put up from time to time, you'll be on our list. Or you can just find me on LinkedIn and reach out and say hi and uh, have a chat. Um, I'm really trying to, if I can carry on for one more second, Giorgio, before you cut me off. I, I, I really, um, This year, my goal is to try and let the rest of the world know that we have this data now. Uh, We've spent five years talking about this and working on this here in in Canada and the United States, Uh, but it's fairly new for us to be able to talk about this around the rest of the world. I did some speaking engagements in Dubai last year and in Abu Dhabi, Uh, but I'm very anxious to get on planes when we're allowed to do that again. I wanna get out there through social media, through whatever means I can, and start sharing this data with everybody on the planet Because I really do think it can make a better world for all of us.
0: Uh, David Allison, I'm really sure that this data will help people to make better decisions, whether it's in a profit or non-profit organization. Uh, So thank you very much for uh, joining the Founders Club podcast.
1: Well, thank you for having me. And Giorgio, let's make sure we stay in touch. I've enjoyed this conversation a lot. And uh, one of these days, you and I will get to be in the same room and and shakes. and since we both like health fitness, maybe we'll go have a workout. Looking forward to that. Thank you. <laughs> okay, take care.